Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Joe Armstrong with the University of Minnesota Extension, and you are listening to The Moose Room. Today, we're talking about beef genetics. Our expert is no one. None of us know a ton about beef genetics, but we're taking our shots, letting you know what we know, kind of laying the groundwork for future episodes, giving some base knowledge. Goal is to come back to genetics a lot. Uh, it's a big topic. There's lots of cool things happening in the industry, uh, but we wanted to start with just the basics so that we can all be on the same page as we have other people in that know a lot more than the three of us. Thank you for listening. Continue to send your requests, ideas, uh, rebuttals to anything we say to the Moose Room at umn.edu and continue to visit our website to check out information or reference anything that you hear in the show at extension.umn.edu. Thanks for listening. Hang in there, everybody. Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. We are here today, just the OG3, to talk about beef genetics. We talked a general genetic or a dairy genetics episode. We did some dairy cross beef, and now we are working on beef genetics. Going to be pretty brief, pretty informal today, and then we're going to get into specifics down the road, probably invite some guests on that know a lot more than the three of us do, but we wanted to make sure that we have uh, our opinions out there so you know what they are and uh, we can give you the basics so and lay the groundwork for future episodes. That's the whole point of this podcast, right? Is just to get our opinions out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's That's what really, I thought. I was like, otherwise I'm not here for the right reasons. Well, we, we named it the Moose Room, <laughs> but it's really just... It's my opinions. It's my My opinions opinions only. We just we just parrot Bradley's (laughs) opinions that he gives us. Definitely not. That's true. Nobody is wiser than Dr. Bradley J. Hines. It is it is not all about me, definitely. Did you know he has tenure? He has tenure. He has tenure. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's get into this. I think we mentioned this in the dairy genetics episode. We talked a lot about PTAs and that they're very different than EPDs in a lot of ways, mostly in the way that they're averaged. So PTAs are averaged to zero. So if you're positive, you're better than average. If you're negative, you're less. With EPDs, of course, in the beef world, we had to make it more complicated. It is not that way. So for for instance, and if you look at the Ang- Angus Association, you look at calving ease, the average for calving ease is plus six, random completely random number. So you have to know that when you're looking at EPDs. So Okay, so you said for Angus. So are EPDs different for each breed? Absolutely. Absolutely. They I I can't even count how many different beef breeds there are. There's so many, an unreal amount. And every single breed pretty much does it differently. They have different EPDs, they have different values, so you can't use you can't compare an Angus to a Simmental without running some kind of conversion to make sure the EPDs are somewhat similar. And there's some good tools for that. We'll probably talk a lot about Angus today just because I think for the most part, they have done the best job of creating EPDs and making it easy for everyone to use them. So that that's my people, bias for Angus. People from all the other breed associations are going to be after you now. That's fine. They can come. You come can after send them. your complaints to the Moose Room at umn.edu. Moose Room at umn.edu. That, that's where you can send them. I, I think they've done the best job. That's my opinion. I, I talk about them a lot because they're a widely used breed. Uh, and they, they've done a really good job of explaining all of this. Now, 
there's other breed, breeds that have done pretty pretty well as well. Obviously, there's Simitaro and Limousine and Hereford and Red Angus, and all the, they all have their own EPDs and and different indexes that they use. But yeah, it's it's you can get kind of complicated trying to keep track of all the different ones. So if I say anything in the in the episode I, that is Angus specific only, it probably applies to other breeds. But I'm going to use terminology that is probably Angus just because that's the one that I know the best. And and we see that in the dairy side too, right, Brad? That's all. It's different for breeds, right? Of course, everybody always talks about Holsteins and they forget about the other breeds. But well, and sure, but other breeds all breeds. Holstein? Uh, oh wow! Wow! All <laughs> breeds have all breeds have something to offer. We we know that it just it depends on management and all, and lots of different factors. So. So Brad is all about genetic diversity and maintaining many different breeds. I'm not all about one breed. And I think we've done that pretty well on the beef side and and we're starting to see more and more of it on the dairy side. Right. On the dairy side is, is net merit comparable between breeds, Brad? It is, it is not. No, nope, it's, not. it's not. Okay. Nope. Cause they're so, all adjusted on their own breed base. So you'd have to convert them all back to a single breed base and, that breed base is Holstein. So everything would be compared back to them. So yeah, you can't compare just like the beef world. Right. So Brad and or Joe, actually both of you, I want you to answer this question. Do you think, or do you wish that, you know, for both EPDs and PTAs that would create a system that was universal across all breeds? Or do you feel like Breeds can be so different, and so you're just going to be doing apples to oranges, anyways. Well, uh, go go first, Brad. I'll, 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 I'll give you the the dairy example. So all all of the breeds are evaluated on the same. They have a multi-breed evaluation, but everything is converted back to their own base. Define what what breed you want to be the base to compare everybody off of. So do you com- set Guernsey as the base, and then? Holsteins look really good or you set Holsteins and then the Guernseys look really bad just to use those two breeds. So it's, it's really difficult what breed you pick to decide what to set as the base. So that's why everybody has chosen to put them on their own base. And I would suspect that's the same with beef breeds just because they all have different traits they analyze too. You know, they, they're not all the same and they have different, you know, different goals that they're trying to reach for in their genetic uh, index. So not everybody's the same. And I, I think it's very similar on the beef side. It's just that at least on the dairy side, I think you see some conservation of terminology, at least, you know, if we're talking net merit Holstein versus net merit Jersey, at least they're both using the term net merit, which isn't necessarily true when we start looking at EPDs. So for example, um, Angus uses value indexes and that is not the same term that is used for Herefords or Red Angus or anything else because because those those they, they just choose something else to name it now it's almost identical it's almost the same thing that they're talking about but they've just chosen to call it something else which makes it makes it a little tough uh, when you're when you're looking at all these things and trying to trying to compare bulls so Angus uses value indexes Herefords use profit indexes which are they're very similar, but they're they're just different terminology. Like in dairy with net net merit, we have these value indexes, 
that give you basically a combination of a bunch of different EPDs that kind of try to give you a profit number so that you can compare. Like Brad talked about uh, when we're talking about dairy genetics, you don't want to just pick on a single trait. You want to be able to look at a bunch of them together and these value indexes or these profit indexes make it very easy to do. Now, what we've done in a lot of cases and the ones that are very popular on the beef side, which we, we don't really see this on the dairy side, is they are, a lot of these indexes can be very specific to a time frame. And I think that's really confusing for some producers and I don't, I don't like how it's set up. So the one that I always think about is dollars beef. I don't know, have you guys heard of that one, dollars beef? I haven't. Enlighten us. So, yes. so it, it's dollars B, which is, it's dollars B for beef value. And I think I see a lot of guys on the cow-calf side see that and they're like, well, of course, dollars beef, that should be the index I look at um, just because why not? It just, it's a very easy composite to look at. Well, that's really only the expected progeny differences for the feedlot side post weaning. It only covers post weaning. So if you're selling at weaning or around weaning, that may not be the best value index to choose a bull from. So that that's where, where some of the stuff gets a little, you have to read into all the definitions to try to figure it out. So for a cow calf guy that's selling at weaning and that's how he's marketing, you know, maybe the better index to look at is weaned calf value, which is dollars W. Okay. So that's everything prior to weaning. So that gives you a lot of different things to look at. It, it, it's just something that you, you have to go in and read the definitions. There's one thing that I always try to take with me to a bull sale and, and almost most of the breeds have this and it's a percentile breakdown for every single EPD category. And it, it fits on one page. It's a little tough to read because it gets kind of small, but at least then I can have a reference for, and usually the average is on there too for every category. So then I can see, all right, I see a bull's numbers. I know exactly where he sits in the ranking and that, that helps me decide where you should really lie on how much I'm willing to pay for him. Right. That is one good thing I would like to say about the beef industry is when you're at sales or something, they present a lot more information. Now the dairy has been getting better, but they've always presented genetic information on, uh, you know, cows, heifers, bulls to, for, for people to, uh, you know, purchase and dairy hasn't always been that way. You know, I think with the advent of genomics, it's improving, but beef has been lockstep far more advanced with their uh, genetic and EPDs and showing off the EPDs of their cattle. And even, you know, beef, beef were crossbreeding long before dairy was. So maybe there's a lot of things we can learn from beef genetics. Well, and that's, it's, it's weird to see and it, it's strange to hear that the beef industry is ahead of something, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I'm, I'm not criticizing. You just want for, that hate mail from the beef. I want it. I want it. Bring that's it. the moose room at umn.edu. But, but that's, that's the deal. Like if you look at pigs, you look at poultry, you know, cattle in general are always behind. And if we had to t say who's behind on most things on, on, in terms of technology and accepting advancement, it's usually the beef guys if we're talking beef dairy. So it's really nice to hear that maybe the beef guys got ahead on one thing a little bit here. 
When I, I was looking at something on EPDs and how genetics uh, work in the beef breed, and I made a few notes here. One, I saw over the last 20 years, weaning weight has increased by one and a half pounds a year. Birth weight has decreased a quarter of a pound per year. Marbling has increased by 0.5 units. And carcass weight has increased by four pounds a year. Now that's genetically. So it really shows that EPDs over the last 20 years and the selection within the beef industry, it, it works, you know, in, in some of yeah. those highly heritable traits. It really does. And I think the, the thing that, and it's good to see progress. And I, you know, I don't want to be a downer or sandbag this whole thing, but it's really cool to see progress when we talk about the, the weaning weights and things like that. It, it never really tells the whole picture because I think there's, there's better values to look at when we look at success of a system or, or actual improvement across a system wide. And I think on the beef side, and, and I know uh, our colleague Eric Mosel has covered this quite a bit, the value that we really like to look at in terms of efficiency and success in a, in a cow-calf operation is going to be pounds of calf weaned per cow exposed to the bull or AI or however many you are exposed to breed. And that really gives you a reproductive efficiency. And, and what's frustrating for me is that we have all those other advancements and weaned weight and everything else. We have not made improvements in pounds of calf weaned per cow exposed. And I think that has a lot to do with reproduction and possibly has a lot to do with what we are selecting for in these cows. Just like maybe we got in trouble on the dairy side a little bit with reproduction at one point because we were selecting so heavily for milk production. We hurt ourselves a little bit, kind of shot ourselves on the foot. We, I think we've done that on the beef side a little bit. Well, I think there's an optimum for milk production in the beef herd too. You know, you want you don't want uh, EPDs on on bulls that are going to have high milk value because there's some sort of, I don't know, diminishing return. So you want some sort of happy medium there and not not select necessarily the high milk EPD uh, uh, bulls. Yeah, absolutely. And and for me, there's a lot of stuff coming out. Now in Minnesota, we get in Iowa and, and this whole upper Midwest area, we get a little spoiled because of the resources that we have and how good our feed is. Like we, we make excellent feed, excellent feed. So we can, we tend to have bigger cows already and we can get away with some of this higher production and still manage to, to have good repro because we have such good feed. But there are areas of the country where, where the genetics are not able to be fully expressed because basically we, the genetics are above what the resources can support. And that, that becomes an issue as, as into, are we selecting for the right things or not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it, you know, selection certainly is going to depend obviously breeds and we're, we, we're not going to get into breeds today. That, that's just, Oh man, <laughs> no way. No way. We, 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 we don't have, have another hour. <laughs> we, that's right. We don't, we just don't have enough time to get into breeds, but it really, it, it can, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, a lot of things we talk about now, as far as environmental type stressors and things like that on selecting for those. Cause what works up here in the Midwest might not, work in texas you know i've and you know i've been in other places uh, in the u.s and there are a lot of different beef 
breeds out there and it really depends on the farm and what their goals are and I remember when I was a 4-H kid we went on a 4-H trip and we uh, went to some Brangus farms well we don't really have Brangus uh, you know that Brahma type influence that they would have in the heat in the south is not up here in the north so it's really different and different uh, ideas and obviously that genetics plays a role in, in those things too. This is back to one of my soapbox things, close to the soapbox, but, but I like people who select cows to fit their system. I really think it's an easier way to go than to try to fit your system to your cows. You know, you want to make the best management system for you that you can make, but at a certain point, there's just things you can't do in Minnesota that you can do in Texas. I agree. And, and and you have to you have to find cows that work in your system, and for me the the biggest piece of that is is culling. Like if if someone's not cutting it in your operation, and and the vast majority of animals are, they need to go. I mean, there's no there's no two ways about it. They should leave. They might work in someone else's system, so they don't necessarily need to go to to slaughter. But if they're not working in your system, they need to go, and you need to figure out how to make cows that fit your system. Right, because you're just wasting money if they're not working in your system or you're wasting more labor or you know. Oh yeah. And 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 raising a heifer is expensive. You know, we talk about that on the dairy a lot, but it it's expensive on the beef side too. And we don't have time to get into to economics and, and what the cow numbers are as far as when you should be buying replacements versus raising replacements, but that that's a big that's been a big issue in recent years on when should you really be raising your own and when should you be buying those? Bradley, I think I figured out why you like Hereford so much. I had, I had put it? notes in and I didn't give you these notes, but, but <laughs> because the pro- they're cute and fat, just like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. That may, that's not quite what I was going for. Oh, not sure. quite. But, but the profit indexes for Herefords are, are built based on Bradley's mind. They're all about crossbreeding. They're all about it. They, they have specific indexes that are made for crossbreeding. As in our Hereford breeds, you know, we baldies are huge, right? So you got that black calf with a white face. Yeah. And they have specific indexes that target making crossbreds. So maybe it's just maybe it's just another reason to love Herefords, I guess. They do. It's uh, yeah, the black baldy. Then they have their Brahma, so that's crossing with Brahma. Then they have certified Hereford beef, and they mm-hmm. have a Cavignese one. So yeah, so yes. I think it's it's probably just another, another reason to love Herefords. But uh, yes, I my my grandpa must have uh, known something uh, back in the day when he had Herefords. So. Absolutely. So there's there's one index that I want to get to because I, I think it's a really cool index. It's uh, dollars EN. And that's cow energy value. So this is an Angus thing again. So sorry, other breeds, but I love this value. Send your hate mail to the moves room at umn.edu. Or to Emily uh, Crackleberg. She will yeah. help. I, yeah, we won't give out Emily's email, but you can find her if you want. Find me on Twitter. Yeah, find her on Twitter. <laughs> So cow energy value is really cool because it's it's basically dollars saved per cow per year. So you can compare two cows and say, actually, if I had this cow instead of that cow, I would save this much money every year. 
And it's basically an efficiency number. It's all about feed expense. So this cow will do the same thing on less feed. And I think it's a really, really interesting trait. I, I like this, this index more than I like a lot of the other indexes because that cow is around a long time and you got to feed, she's got to eat, girls got to eat. So girls got to eat. So every year she's got to be maintained through the winter and you got to have feed for her and it can save you a lot of money over a long time because some of these beef cows can live forever and still be productive. So um, I really love that trait. If you haven't looked at that before, you should check it out. Story time, story time. Um, oh, yeah. Every, every veterinarian has someone they call doc, right? So if I say doc, I'm talking about one person. If uh, my buddy in vet school says doc, he's talking about somebody else, but everyone has their doc, right? So my doc is Dr. Rick Jamison down in Southwest Iowa. When he first graduated, he's retired now, semi-retired. He can't, I don't think he'll ever actually stop working. But when he first graduated vet school, he worked in North Dakota, Steel, North Dakota, middle of nowhere. But that was when we were starting to see these big continental breeds come over and, and start to be used in the U.S. and in a big way. So you got Charlet, big, I mean, big cows, right? Well, we didn't have a good handle on calving ease at that point. We didn't understand how that all worked as well. So in my, my entire career, my, I practiced for four or four and a half years. I did, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 C-sections total, total. Otherwise, I could usually get them out the back, right, in some way, whether it was in pieces or together. All, they were coming out the back usually. So charming, charming. Yes. But doc was telling me that when he first graduated his first season up there, he did over 200 C-sections Oh, in one wow. calving season. That's like Belgian blues, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, <laughs> it was unreal. So one of the biggest improvements to the whole point of the story is that now we don't do that many. When he was when when we didn't understand this calving ease thing, basically you had your normal jet your normal day, did all your normal stuff, and then every single night you came back to the clinic and there was three or four or five trailers waiting for you so you could do C sections at the clinic. We've made some huge improvements. That's probably one of the areas that we we have made the best improvements on is calving ease. I think one of the things that we talk about, and we talked about this with dairy beef too, is that we can't sacrifice birth weight. Uh, in a lot of cases because they can't make that back up. So we've almost gone too far. Again, we've taken it too far. When you have 35, 40, 45 pound Angus calves hitting the ground, I don't think that's a good thing. And I, they, they don't make up that weight. They can handle bigger calves, especially your cows. Um, and I know there's some peace of mind there, but uh, don't sacrifice birth weight that much. You got, you can pay attention to calving ease, but there's some really good calving ease bulls that don't sacrifice birth weight at all. So keep that in mind as well. Hmm. They're expensive. Yeah. They're expensive. Yeah. You, yeah. Small birth weights don't work in a lot of breeds. So there's a reason that Jersey calves are hard to take care of and no one wants to do it. It's because they're tiny and they don't, they're the size well. of puppies. Exactly. They're, they're super tiny. Emily will take care of your Jersey calves if you want. I will. 
Just bring them into the city, stake them out in the backyard. Yeah. Just Perfect. send the request to the Moose Room at UMN.edu. <laughs> Don't do that. Now we're going to have, we have no, people we trying will to not give us over on the Jersey Cavs. We will not. We will not raise your Jersey Cavs. Sorry. Speak for yourself, Bradley. Emily's going to have a house full. A house full yeah. of them. Okay. I, I don't know if we have a whole lot of other stuff to talk about. I mean, the, the big takeaways from all of this is that you need to understand EPDs. Understand if you're a dairy guy coming to the beef side, you need to understand how they're different than PTAs. And, and recognize that they are breed specific. They are used to compare two bulls. You can't really use them all by themselves. You you can say that one bull has progeny that will do this, will be expected to do this over another bull, but you can't really use them all alone. It doesn't work that way. Use the indexes when you can, but understand what they mean. Make sure you're fitting with the goals of your operation. Use the resources available. Make sure you know what averages are for each category uh, so that you know where average sits for that that specific number. Anything else, guys? Can you, do you have any questions? Not to any, be that guy, but burning questions. the plural for index, indices? It is indices. You are correct. But most people say indexes. It's yes. I'm a simple person. I, <laughs> yeah, I notice. <laughs> yeah. I, That's I run the only the, question I had. Everybody says indexes all the time. It's indexes in my mind. <laughs> indices. Fine. Indices. If you're trying to be fancy. Emily's all dressed up today anyway because she had to do an interview. So she's feeling all fancy. With her Damn. bling microphone, with her rubies all over her she microphone. She did. I know. that's not, We didn't update listeners on that, that she, she did bedazzle her microphone. So one day, if we're ever doing these live, you can see, you can see Emily's bedazzled microphone. Yeah. We may need to do that just to show off my microphone. <laughs> just do some live. We could do that at trade shows once things are back up and running. Just sit in the we could. on the, the expo floor and do some do some podcasting. Yeah, Minnesota milk. Minnesota milk. We'll do it there. Let's do it. It's Always a, a good time at Minnesota right. milk. Then we can have Tim on too. Or sorry, not Tim, Tom Rothman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's got the perfect voice for radio and he did it yes. for a long time. Yeah, we should have him. Tom would be good. We should. What a good idea. All right. Let's have him on. I don't know what we'll talk about, but we can talk about policy or whatever else. Or just radio. That'd be fine. Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap her up. If you want to get a hold of us, comments, questions, scathing rebuttals, catch us at the moose room at umn.edu. That's, That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Good work. Woo! I didn't have to do it. Also, check us out at extension.umn.edu. We are working on getting more and more content up there. Bradley is publishing left and right. Uh, so there's something to reference there and good information to find. With that, thank you for listening. Hang in there. We'll catch you next episode. She's fancy. You got to be specific. I didn't know I had to watch what I said as much on the grammar side. <laughs>